think it's been a week since we started the book of Ephesians? How's your reading been going? Yeah, and some of you are probably hoping, I really hope he doesn't ask us to raise our hands if we read Ephesians this week. I'm not going to do that. I can tell by the way that you're looking at me right now. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But, but in all seriousness, listen, if you read it last week, I pray that God opened the eyes of your hearts and you just, it was made so clear to you. Um, different things that maybe you hadn't seen before. And if, and if you're joining us for the first time today or you weren't here last week, uh, the, the challenge was to read through the book of Ephesians once for the next 10 weeks. Once a week for the next 10 weeks. And uh, if you didn't get to do it last week, start tomorrow. Start tomorrow. And continue to read through what we're going to be studying together. Today we're going to talk about God's grace. I came across a story, and it's a story, it's not true, but it's of a man who dies and goes to heaven. And uh, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. And Peter says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. Tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll tell you how many points you get for each of them. When you reach 100, you can go in. Okay, says the man, and he's pretty confident because this man's lived a good life. And he said, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. Never cheated on her, not even in my heart. Peter said, that's wonderful. You get three points. Three points? I attended church all my life. I supported its ministry with my tithe, with my time. And Peter said, that's wonderful. That's worth one point. One point. How about this? Okay, here's something. I started a soup kitchen in my city. I worked in a shelter for the homeless. Peter said, that's great. You get two points. The man thinks to himself, two points. And he looks at Peter and he says, at this rate, the only way I'm ever going to get into heaven is by God's grace. And Peter said, exactly. Exactly. Would you stand with me this morning as we read Ephesians chapter 2 together? And let's read it together as a family this morning. The words are up on the screen. I ask you to read on the screen with me, otherwise we'll all be saying different things. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would communicate your truth clearly. May your truth be heard and may your truth be spoken. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to create truth, but you've given it to us. Father, may you be glorified in this service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning. Here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, verse 1 through 3, it gives us the picture of who we all were before Christ. Right Now, now Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians, the believers there. Remember in chapter 1, he, he refers to the saints in Ephesus. Right? The saints. Now listen, before you were a saint, before you were saved, this is who you were. You were dead. You are spiritually dead. Picture with me this morning a casket sitting up front with a corpse in it. The corpse can do nothing. The corpse can't smell. It can't taste. It can't see. It can't speak. It can't climb up out of the casket. That was us. Spiritually dead. You were dead in what? In the trespasses and sins. Trespasses being those things that we do in open defiance to God. You know it's wrong to lie, but you lie anyways. You know you shouldn't look at that website, but you go there anyways. Those are trespasses, right? And trespasses, in a broader sense, can also include things that are done unknowingly. But sins, the word sins encompasses everything. Right? Everything that we do against God, whether knowingly or unknowingly, you were dead in those things. You and I, in, in our trespasses and sins. It reminds me of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This includes Jews and Gentiles. Remember who Paul's writing to this morning? both the Jews and the Gentiles. This includes Americans and those of other nationalities. It includes Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. It includes those from Ephesus, those from Lancaster, and those from Chester County. All are dead in their sin. Paul then goes on and lists three different things in which they were dead in their sin. In which you once walked. Look at verse 2. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. First you have the world. And we are called to not conform to the pattern of this world. But those who are dead in their sin do. They're living lives under the prince of the power of the air. This gives us a little bit of insight into why humans do such terrible things sometimes. 
because they've fallen influence to the most evil one. If you've ever turned on the TV before and you wonder how in the world something so terrible, something horrific could happen, this explains it here. Those who aren't in Christ are dead in their sins. They're following the course of the world. Not only that, they're following the prince of the power of the air, which is the evil one. And then he goes on to say that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, who are the sons of disobedience? It's all who are lost, who disobey God. They're following the world. They're being energized by Satan. And in so, they disobey God again and again and again. Maybe they don't think in their minds, man, I'm following Satan and what I'm doing. But anything that goes against God is in following Satan. Paul then writes, among whom we all once lived. He, he quickly makes sure that they understand, listen, this isn't a Jew thing. This isn't a Gentile thing. This is all of us. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your sin. It was all of us. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were born a sinner. Each and every one of us. One commentary I read pointed out how man's three enemies are listed in verses 2 and 3. The world, the devil, and the flesh. This is all before Christ. This is who you are before being in Christ. And then comes this word in Scripture. And whenever you encounter this word in Scripture, it should always cause you to pause. It should always cause you to read before and read after. And it's the word but. But God. This is you over here. This picture that Paul had just, this hopeless picture Paul had just painted. Living a terrible life. Being lost. This was you in your sin. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You remember last week? How we looked at how God chose us before the foundations of the world relate, how God knew every mistake you would ever make, every poor decision you would ever think or do, and yet God sent Jesus anyway. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the city of Nineveh. You remember how, how evil Nineveh was? And God sends Jonah with this message to go and to tell them, and, and Jonah doesn't want to do it. And we find out that Jonah really doesn't want to tell Nineveh, not because he's scared for his own life, but because he knows how merciful God is. Right? <laughs> 
God, I hate these people so much. I'm not afraid of them. I just don't want to see you save them. That's how merciful God is. I remember one time I was talking with my grandfather on the phone. We, we talk all the time, my dad, my grandfather. We, we, it's such a blessing to be able to have phones, isn't it? Especially when you all live in different countries. I mean, you guys would know that, right? Being able to connect. And uh, we were talking through this, this idea of, of God's sovereignty and knowing all these things. And, and um, I, I said, you know, if God, since, since God knew all of this, right? And God knew every bad decision I would make and every bad decision you would make. And this was all before the foundations of the world were laid. Right? This is before God spoke anything into existence. God already knew that Jesus was going to have to come and die for people that just do terrible things over and over and over again. Why in the world would he do it? Why would he put himself through it? We weren't created yet. No harm, no foul. My grandfather said, that's because it's the story of grace, Tony. God's grace couldn't have been demonstrated in the same way. If he wouldn't have chose to create us, knowing what was going to happen. And Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved. This is the story of grace. Remember Paul? When his name used to be Saul? And the things that he did? You know, as he's writing this, imagine living the life that he lived and the memories that must have come into his mind time and time again of the people he killed, had killed, the mistakes that he had made. And he, he's writing this to them saying, listen, we were dead in our sins, but, but God's grace saved me. Even me. A.W. Tozer, maybe you've heard of A.W. Tozer before. But he says this, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Its use to us, sinful men, is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is the story of grace. The grace, as the hymn writer puts it, right? That is greater than all our sin. Paul then goes on to write, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Paul differentiates Christianity from other world religions by saying, listen, salvation is a gift. It's not earned. You can do nothing to earn salvation. As a matter of fact, you cannot gain salvation by being a church member, by being baptized, by eating at Chick-fil-A. It's pretty close, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. If you like Chick-fil-A, don't go today, though, or you'll be very disappointed. You can't gain salvation by gaining all, giving all your money to the poor, by acting like the Good Samaritan, by going on a mission trip, by living a good life, by trying your best to keep the Ten Commandments. It's, it isn't faith plus something else, right? 
Salvation isn't faith plus giving 10% of your money to the church. It's not faith plus making sure that you actually get out of bed on Sunday to come to church every single week and having perfect attendance. That's not salvation. Might be following different things that God has given us, but that's not salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Romans 11.6 says this, but if, it, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If, if, if salvation was dependent upon works, would it actually be grace? Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we could gain salvation by ourselves, why would Christ have to die? We can't do that. Salvation is a gift. It's, it's, it's through by grace through faith alone. See, this, this book that we study and we read, not the book of Ephesians, but the Word of God, is God's story of love and God's story of grace, given to you and given to me. It's given to those who are unworthy, which is you and me. Salvation is given to those who are unworthy, which is you and me. That's because it's grace. For the wages of sin, like we all found ourselves in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, as, as that corpse that can do nothing, that is lost in its trespasses and sin, for the wages of that is death. But God's grace, God's kindness, His mercy through Jesus has given us the gift of salvation. Now it might be easy to think in the process of, of thinking, okay, well God has given me this free gift and uh, you know, if, if, if it's not a works thing, then, then can't I just live however I want? And Paul quickly discusses that at the end of the section that we're going to study this morning. And here's what he says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So salvation is, is, is by grace, right? It's not something of works. It's not so that you can't go and say, listen, well, I went to church 365 times this year. It's like, okay, we were only open 364, so you broke one of the Ten Commandments. But it's so that we can all point people to Jesus. So we can all point people to Jesus. Right after telling him that salvation isn't about works, he reminds them that God's grace should revolutionize who we are. When you gain an understanding of, of how great this grace is, it should change your life. It should cause the way that you spend your money, the way that you watch TV, the way that you talk to other people, the focus of your life, like the Spaniards talked about being kingdom-focused this morning. It should drastically change that. God's grace should cause us to live differently than other people. If it's not, then we need to ask ourselves, are we really understanding God's grace? Or are we just trying to take advantage of something? 
There's a story of uh, two different preachers, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. And they both had churches in London in the 19th century. Uh, on one occasion, Parker had commented, Spurgeon had an orphanage, and, and Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. The poor condition of children who were admitted. But you know how sometimes when somebody says something, it gets twisted and turned, and when you hear it, it's something completely different than what they said? Well, Spurgeon heard that Parker was criticizing his orphanages. Now, that's not what Parker did. Remember, Parker talked about how, how in rough shape the kids were that were coming to the orphanage. But Spurgeon heard that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. So Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. And again, as, as many things that are done in the Christian realm, it gets totally blown and the attack was printed in the newspapers. It became the talk of the town. And the next week, people flooded Parker's church to see what Parker was going to say back at Spurgeon. We all want to hear that, right? Here's what Parker said. I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. This is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I remember he was just blasted last week, right? That affects his reputation, it affects his church. And here's what he says. I suggest that we take up a love offering here instead. He had the opportunity to stand there and to attack Spurgeon for saying false things. And instead he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to support his ministry. We're going to support his ministry. And it said that they had to empty the offering plates three times over. Because so much money was given. Later that week, there was a knock on Parker's office. And it was Spurgeon. And he said, you know, Parker, you've practiced grace on me. You've given me not what I deserved, but what I needed. God's given us what we needed. I love in Scripture so many times where it talks about someone who is sick or hurting and it says that Jesus forgave their sins. Because that's the most important thing, right? Not seeing, not walking, not talking. It's having our sins forgiven. But that doesn't give us the right to sin. Romans 6.2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? See, God's grace needs to revolutionize who we are needs to change who we are as believers. William MacDonald, he writes this, and I'll say this in closing. While it's true we are not saved by good works, it's equally true that we are saved for good works. Good works are not the root, but the fruit. We do not work in order to be saved, but because we are saved. And I pray that today, that you truly think about God's great grace in your life, and that it causes you to live your life differently. When that person cuts you off as you're pulling out on 472, how do you respond? Let's pray together. Gracious God.